act. And, and for Dick, he saw a successful company that was doing well and he got a promotion, and he got a pay rise and, and the future looked great. And so he enters into that interview happy and confident and feeling like he can take on the world. And he had no idea what was about to happen. And the reality was that the company was hiding debts. The reality was that the CEOs, driven by greed, had had been uh, dishonest about their figures and been kind of siphoning money away. They'd been willing to cut corners and, and alter figures in order to make sure that they walked away with the most money possible. And this whole approach to, to business, this whole approach to business that, where we go about it to make as much money as we possibly can in any way that we can, whether that means hurting people or being dishonest or mistreating people or whatever it might be, is, is nothing new. You know, Jesus talks about this kind of an, an approach to, to money and because it was something which happened even, even way back then. And we've been going through a, a series recently called Jesus in focus. Uh, and you know what we're doing really is we're trying to, to look at and bring into focus who Jesus is and what it is that he teaches. Because how we see something determines how we act. When we learn to see the world the way that God sees the world, when we learn to see relationships and our marriages and our work and our money and our children and our future the way that God sees it and the way that God created it to be, then it starts to come into focus and we see it clearly and suddenly we start to understand why God asks us the things that God asks us to do and he calls us to live the way that he calls us to live. Because the way that we see something determines the way that we act. And the way that Jesus brings into focus and tries to make clear how God sees money and God's purposes for money and God's purposes for possessions might take us by surprise. You know, what happens is that, that, that one day comes along, as you know, Jesus, he kind of travels around and he teaches and wherever he goes, crowds down to come to, to listen to him. And so one day he's going along and, and this, this crowd has gathered around him and he starts to, to teach them. And there's this whole mix of people there. This isn't just ni- kind of nice religious people that, that you might expect. There a whole mix of people there. There's, there's slaves who are there. There's tax collectors that are there. There's, there's poor people that are there as well as rich people that are there. There's just like this whole kind of spectrum of, of society. And, and as Jesus looks out and he sees this diversity of people and he sees all the people who are there, he sees people who, who would have been considered to be sinners, people who would have been considered to be excluded and separated and not able to have a relationship with God. He, he looks out at these people and he decides he wants to bring something into focus for them. He wants to make it clear to them how God sees people like them. How God sees people who would be considered sinners and distant from him. And so Jesus, he tells them three parables. Three stories that a lot of you might be familiar with. He tells them the stories of um, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And in each of these stories, what he's trying to get across to them is the fact that no matter how lost or distant or far from God they might feel, God is reaching out to them. God is searching for them. God is looking for them. And he's longing to be in relationship with them. And that relationship is available to them. And if you're here today and that's how you feel, you feel like you're far from God. 
You, 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 you feel like God's distant and that relationship with him isn't maybe something that, that you feel you're able to have. Then the amazing good news which Jesus is trying to get across, not only for them back then, but for us today, is the truth that no matter how far from God you might feel, no matter what you might have done in life, that God is searching for you. And he is reaching out to you. And he is longing to, to welcome you with open arms into relationship with him. But as amazing as that good news is, not everybody who heard, Je- heard Jesus that day appreciated his message. They didn't all appreciate what he was saying. And when he, he'd finished telling these stories, you know, the religious leaders, you, you can imagine them there, they were often the butt of Jesus' stories. He was often trying to make a point for them to understand how they got it wrong. And so you can imagine the religious leaders that are there, and he gets to the end of these stories, and they're kind of rolling their eyes and thinking, oh, we're made out to be the bad guys yet again. And you can imagine that they've had enough, and so they're turning to leave. And Jesus kind of spots this out of the corner of his eye, and the the crowd, these guys are are, are turning away, and and he's got something that he wants them to get hold of too, that he's wanting to bring into focus for them too, to help them to realize how God sees the world. And and so at, at the beginning of Luke 16, we read that he says, loud enough for all of them to hear, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And you can imagine suddenly he has their attention because they're rich men and they know exactly what this situation is like. They're the kind of people who who don't do business themselves. They employ somebody else to do business for them and to manage their finances and to manage their household for them. And so they know exactly what it feels like to be kind of slightly out of control and distant from it and worrying that their manager's kind of being dishonest and getting one over on them and wasting what it is that they've got. And so he's got their attention. And then Jesus, he goes on and he wants to use this as an opportunity to explain to them how God views their possessions and how God views money. So he says, there was a rich man who was accused, whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. You know, essentially the rich man is saying, get the books together, get your records in order, bring the accounts to me and then you're fired. And then Jesus, he goes on. He says, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And I think we can all probably relate to this kind of situation the manager's going through, can't we? You know, we've all had those times where we've wondered, what on earth am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? How am I going to manage? How am I going to make ends meet? And and, and that's where the manager's at, and he's looking at it, and he's saying, what am I going to do when I've lost my job? You know, I'm an inside guy. I'm an office guy. Look at these hands. There's not a callus on them. I can't go be a laborer and dig holes. I'm used to living with plenty. I can't go out on the street corner and beg. And then he realizes he's got this little bit of time and this little bit of opportunity and he has this aha moment. I know what I can do. I know what I can do to make sure that my future is secure. And he goes on in verse 5 then. It says, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 
900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Now, that doesn't mean an awful lot to us, but this would probably have been worth somewhere between two to three years' wages. So this is a big old sum of money. And so the dishonest manager who's about to lose his job, he told him, you know, I don't have much time, so take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. To which you can imagine the the olive oil businessman sitting there, jaw on the floor, going, seriously? You're going to cut what I owe in half. Thank you so much. What can I, if there's ever anything you need, ever anything you need, you come and see me. Anything I can do for you, I'll sort you out. You let me know. To which the dishonest manager thought, you know what, I will. And it will be sooner than you think. And then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And this would have been worth even more, probably somewhere between about eight to ten years worth of wages. It's a big sums that we're dealing with. And so the dishonest manager told him, take your bill and make it 800. And again, you can imagine the guy there who, who sells the wheat just being like, wow, thank you. That's incredible. If there's ever anything I can do for you, you let me know. You know, and at this point in the story, you can imagine the religious leaders and, and the rich guys who are there listening to Jesus, thinking, what on earth's going on? How's this guy going to get away with it? When the master finds out what he's done, he's going to regret it. The master's going to make him repay every penny of what he's just thrown away. He's going to put him in prison. It wasn't his to waste like that. It wasn't his to, to use in that kind of way. What kind of thing could he think he was doing? And I think Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew where their heads would be at. And I think he probably kind of smiled inside because he knew where he was going. And he knew that he was about to teach them a lesson about how God viewed their possessions. And what Jesus says is the last thing that they would have expected. And it's probably the last thing that we would expect. And sometimes this story can be a little bit confusing and we read it and we just go, what on earth is, is going on there? He says this in verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. What? Why would he commend the dishonest manager who has just ripped him off and caused him to lose a whole load of money? And here's the key. Notice that he doesn't commend him for being dishonest. But because he acted shrewdly, because he acted prudently. And what the master is commending him for is the fact that this guy realized he had a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity and he thought ahead and prepared for his future. And you kind of end up with this picture, or at least I do, of this kind of slightly chubby rich guy there in his robes chuckling And then patting the manager on the back and going, oh, wow, you're cleverer than I thought you were, you rascal. You've gone and sorted yourself out, made your future secure at my expense. And the people around Jesus are dumbfounded. They can't believe what Jesus is saying. And now Jesus, he kind of pulls out of the story. He pulls out of what it is that he's telling them and he starts to teach instead. Starts to try and get across to them what it is that he really wants them to get hold of from this story. And to bring into to focus and help them to see the way that God sees their possessions and sees their wealth 
and every different thing that they have. And so Jesus goes on and he says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. You know, what Jesus is saying is that the people who think that this life is all there is, the people who think that once you die, it's, it's all over and that's the end of it, the people who see this life and, and see their possessions and see their money and see everything they have in that kind of a way, the way that they see life and the way that they see what they have, what they believe about that determines the way that they act. And so based on what it is that they believe, based on the way that they see things, they are acting shrewdly. Because they don't believe there's a life after this life, and so they're just getting as much as they can in the here and now and trying to maximize every moment. And so based on what they believe, they're often more shrewd than the people who believe there is a life after this life. And so Jesus goes on and he says, if you believe there's a life after this life, then you need to be a bit more shrewd in how you make your decisions. You need to plan ahead and prepare for your future. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is saying, I want you to use what you have in the now. I want you to use your possessions and your wealth and your money and everything that you have shrewdly. Use it in such a way so that when you die, when this life is over and you you step into eternity, you step into heaven, there will be people there who will welcome you because of what you have done with what you have in the now. And Jesus, he wants to to bring into focus and help us to, to see money and possessions and everything that we have more clearly. And to show us that, that God sees what you have and what I have as a tool. That for Jesus, ultimately, money and possessions and all the stuff that we have in life is simply a tool. Jesus says we're to use that tool, to use money, to use possessions, to use the stuff that we have shrewdly, to use it with eternity in mind. We're to be shrewd and use what we have in the now to invest in others for eternity. And so Jesus' focus in the entirety of this story isn't actually money. That's not his his primary focus. That's not the primary thing that he's talking about. His primary thing that he's talking about is mission. And that's why I think it's so important that he begins this whole kind of teaching section looking at the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. Because his heart in all of this is about how God is reaching out to people. How God's heart is to, to, to draw close to people and to do everything that he can. To spend every bit of his energy that he can to draw people to him and to relationship with him. And what Jesus is trying to get across to the religious leaders, what he's trying to get across to, to the rich people is that the way that they are viewing their stuff, the way that they're viewing their money and their possessions and the things that they have, is short-sighted. It's short-sighted. They're only thinking about themselves and they're here and now. And what Jesus is saying is don't be short-sighted. Live 
with eternity in view. Use what you have now in order to win favor with people. So that you have opportunities to share with them something of who Jesus is and point them to Jesus. Use what you have now in order to show people and express to people something of the love of God and so that they can be blessed and through you see something of who God is. He's saying use what we have in the now while we are alive in this world to point people to Jesus so that when we get to heaven, so that when we enter into eternity, there will be people who were there who will come up to us and they will say, because of what you did, I came to know Jesus. Because of what you gave, I experienced something of the love of God. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, when I, when I think about this, I can't help but think about all of, of, of you who have made the things that we do here, the things that we do as light and life possible. You know, the building that we have and that we're able to use for so many different things and so many ways to be able to reach out to people here. You know, the food bank that we, that we run that's, you know, kind of underneath me. You know, the ability to put on things like the fun day that I was talking about earlier or, or get creative or little fish or alpha courses or Christmas meals or, or all the different things that we do. You know, anything and everything we do, whether it's be supporting church plants like we were praying about earlier with, with Bristol and, and Bodmin, whether it be giving money to, to missionaries around the world and to support what it is that they're doing. You know, the reason that we are able to do anything and everything that we do as a church is because so many of you understand something of what Jesus is talking about here. You understand how to take what you have in the now that is temporary, that is here today and gone tomorrow, and leverage it and turn it into something that impacts on eternity. And that's amazing. You know, and this isn't just about money, it's about everything we have. You know, your house is a tool. Your car is a tool. Your gifts and your abilities are, are tools. And the reason that we have been able to grow as a church and to do what we have as a church is because and impact people in the way that we have is because so many of you get this. Here's a couple of questions for you that should pop up behind me for you to think about in this. Simple questions. What do you have? How can you use it? What do you have? What are the tools which God has given you? And how can you use it? Because everything that you have is a tool. And if you can sit there and think of something that you have which you don't think could be used as a tool, then maybe that's a conversation that you need to have with God on a different level. And some of you might be thinking, this all sounds good, but how can I use what I don't have? Do you know how tight things are right now? But Jesus isn't finished yet. And so he goes on and he says this in verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And what Jesus is is saying is, 
If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, in using worldly wealth, the the tools that God has given you for the reason and the purpose that he gave them, if you've not been faithful in using what God's given you the way that it was meant to be, who will trust you with true riches? If you've not been trustworthy in managing someone else's property, who will trust you with property of your own? And Jesus talks like this because in life, he understands that everything that we have been given, every little bit that we have, however small and tiny it might be, or however huge and big our blessings are, it's not really ours. It belongs to God. And it's what he has entrusted to us and given us in this life to, to manage well. And the reason that he then can contrast worldly wealth with true riches or property that you don't own with property that you do own is because, because in heaven, God is going to give us true riches that will belong to us, that will be our reward, that will be ours. And so what Jesus is saying is however little you may have, how you use what you have in the now has an impact on the riches God has for you in heaven. That's a big thought, isn't it? That what we have in the now and how we use it and how we manage it has an impact on eternity. That's a big thought. And Jesus is trying to bring into focus and help us to get hold of the truth that if we are faithful with our worldly wealth and possessions in this life, however much we have, however little we have, then we will be rewarded in the life to come. And then Jesus, he says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the primary issue for Jesus here isn't whether you have money or not. Because Jesus knows that that money isn't a bad thing in and of itself. The primary issue here for Jesus is what has control in our lives? Who or what do we serve? And the reason that that's the primary issue for Jesus, the reason that he raises this um, and talks about money in this kind of way is because Jesus understands that money... And all of the different things that money can bring, because I don't mean just literally money, it's all of the stuff, the, the security and the comfort and all the different things that money can bring are the chief competitor to God in our hearts. In my heart and in your heart. And, and you know, we can think, well, I don't have an issue with, with, with money and that kind of thing, but we can have issues in serving money in more than one way. You know, you can serve money in an obvious way through greed and this kind of desire to to have more and to get more and to have the newest and the, the latest. But you can also serve money through fear. And you can serve money through trying to, to hold on to what you have. And so Jesus is saying, I know what's going on in your hearts and I get it. This is tough. You know, But the reality is you can't serve both God and money. You've got to choose. You can only have one master. 
And when you begin to see money the way that your heavenly father does, it will free you up so that you're not grasping after more and you're not trying to hold on to what you've got, but you can be open-handed with what you have. It can free you up so that you can serve God with your whole heart when you begin to see everything you have as simply a tool. And so here's another big thought for you. As far as Jesus is concerned, our attitude toward money and our possessions conveys something of what we are living for. And if you want to know who or what you are living for, one of the best and clearest places that you can look is your bank statement and to see how it is that you're using your money. And this was hard for some of the rich people to hear. This was hard for, for the, some of the people Jesus was talking to to hear. And so, so we read in verse 14, it says, The Pharisees who loved money, who had this desire for more and to hold on to what they had, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And Jesus, he knows what's going on in their hearts. And so he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. You know, what he's saying to them, and maybe what he's saying to us, is you have an extraordinary ability to justify yourself in the eyes of others when it comes to money and when it comes to your stuff and possessions. You say all the right things. You know, well, I wish I could give more. I'd like to give, but you're so good at talking yourself out of generosity, but God cannot be deceived. He knows your heart. This is tough. This is challenging. This is hard to, for them to hear, and it can be hard for us to hear. Because handling finances and budgeting and all that comes with that in life isn't easy, is it? But here's the thing. What Jesus is talking about, viewing our finances and viewing our possessions as a tool to be used for something bigger than ourselves, being people who are generous, being people who live with eternity in mind, has virtually nothing to do with how much you have or how little you have. It has everything to do with your heart. And here's how I know that. And here's how you know that really too. We all know people who have a lot. And we all know people who have a little. And people in both of those camps who aren't generous. People in both of those camps who are living life, grasping after more, or trying to hold on to what they've got. Do you know who I know who is generous? Generous people are generous. And for generous people, it doesn't matter how much they've got and it doesn't matter how little they have, they are always looking for opportunities and always looking for ways that they can give or or use what they have in order to bless others. This isn't about necessarily having money that you're able to give away in different ways. It's about using what we have for a purpose which is bigger than ourselves, which is looking to bless other people and looking to to give to other people and looking to invest somehow in eternity. 
And we see that in so many different ways. And so Jesus is saying, this isn't about how much you have, and this isn't about how little you have. This is about your heart. This is about how you see money and how you see possessions and the way that you act as a result. Because the way that we see something determines the way that we act. And Jesus is trying to bring the the way that we see money into focus, the way that we see possessions and understand money for it to understand it as a tool to be used for eternity. That it's not a bad thing, but that it is a bad master. So practically, because when it comes to money, we've got to get practical, haven't we? Practically, what does this look like? Practically, what does this mean? We all have to deal with money. We all have to deal with possessions. We can't just kind of go through life and say, well, I got nothing, so therefore I don't have to think about this. We all have something, and we all need something, so therefore what are we going to do with the something that we have? How do we handle what we have open-handedly rather than trying to grasp after more or hold on to what we've got? And I think if we follow the model that, that the world around us teaches us to follow then I think we'll end up with a model whether we mean to or not. If we're not intentional in this, whether we mean to or not, we'll end up with a model that in one way or another is serving money and is serving stuff and possessions. And it's a model that probably looks a little bit something like this. Live, save, give. In that order. Live comes first and and it's not a bad thing. You know, live simply covers all of the things that we we need to, to live in the now. You know, so live covers all the things that we have to, money we have to spend and what we have to do in terms of mortgages and rent and uh, it covers cars and bills and food and clothes and entertainment. It's all of the different ways that we spend money on ourselves in the now. Then next it's save. And so if we have some money left over after we've finished dealing with all of the kind of live stuff, then the next stuff that we do is we look for opportunities to save and to put some money away for uh, into a pension pot for our retirement or to put some money away to save up for a holiday or to put some money aside for, for so that we're ready if an emergency comes along and, you know, the roof starts leaking or, or whatever it might be. And then if there's anything left after live and if there's anything left after save, then when someone comes along who's, who's in need or there's a crisis in the world and our hearts are stirred in compassion, then with the, what's left after that, we might begin to think in terms of giving. And in essence, what we're saying, what that boils down to, is we're saying it's me first in the now, it's me second in the future, and it's everybody else, including God, third. And when we handle our money and our possessions in this kind of a way, we're living in this life as if this life is all there is. And we're not being very shrewd. As if God has no interest in what it is that's going on in our lives financially or what it is that we're doing with our stuff or our possessions. But Jesus comes along and and he says, the way that you are seeing money, the way that you are seeing your possessions, the way that you are seeing stuff is distorted, is out of focus. Let me bring it into focus for you. Let me make it clear. Your money is a tool. And if you don't want to end up controlled by money, controlled by possessions, serving stuff, 
And instead you want to start using it as God wants you to, as a tool to invest in eternity. Then you need to change the order around. And so Jesus flips the order upside down to this. To give, save, live. Jesus says this is how you make sure you don't end up serving money. This is how you keep perspective that everything that you have is a tool to be used. You give first, you save second, and you live on the rest. You know, my, my parents got something of this. And uh, when I was growing up and they started to give me pocket money, um, they gave me a little box um, a little cardboard box with a slit in the top with pictures all around it of children in Africa, and it was a tear fund box. And, um, and so they started giving me pocket money, and the deal was that the first 10% had to go in the box. And then the rest I could spend and I could use however I wanted to. And so the first 10% had to be given away to support the charity tear fund. And do you know what? At the time, I didn't get it. At the time, I thought, what on earth? Why, why do I have to give away this money, I could save up for something. I could buy sweets or whatever it was. But you know, I understand now that my parents were trying to put habits in place so that later in life, I wouldn't be controlled by money. And that I would understand that everything that I have, in one way or another, it all belongs to God. And that it was a tool And that the first thing that I was to do with it, the first thing that I was to do with my money and my possessions was to honor him. And we haven't started giving pocket money to any of our kids yet. I think Evan's probably getting close in in terms of things, but we've not kind of gone there yet and avoided it as long as possible, really. But, you know, when when we do... And we haven't put this in place, as I say, but what I, what I think about, I was talking with this with Rosie just a few days ago, what I'm thinking about is, is copying what I've seen another guy do. Um, great ideas are often stolen, aren't they? So I'm thinking of copying someone, that's something that I've seen someone else do. And what he's done is he's, he's put three jars in each of his children's rooms. And he's labeled those jars, give, save, live. And so the first 10% of the money goes in the give jar. The second 10% of the money goes in the save jar. And the 80% that they've got left, they can use to spend and to do and to live on in any way that they want. And this isn't about trying to say that you've, you've, you know, you've got to tithe and you've got to give your money to the church. This is just something that we do as Christians. This is about wanting to catch hold of something of the heart of God and to teach my children something of the heart of God so that they go through life and they're not controlled by money. They're not just grasping after everything that they can have and holding on to the things that they've got, but they're understanding the way that we, that we don't serve money, but it's a tool for us to use. And it's a tool by which we can honor God. It's a tool by which we can invest in eternity. And so we give first. We save second, and we live on the rest. And when we begin to to put that kind of a practice, what happens is that as we do that, it can be tough sometimes. What happens is it can be scary sometimes, and it can take courage, and it can take faith sometimes. But because of that, it means that we end up inviting God into every aspect of our lives, into every aspect of our finances. Because when we do it the other way around, what happens is that the only time we bother thinking about God with our finances is when we don't have enough. It's when we face an emergency. 
And so by putting it this way around with saying, God, I want you involved in every area of my life, every aspect of my finances, every aspect of my, my stuff, so that I'm keeping money in the right place as a tool, and I'm keeping you in the right place as the one that I serve. And so what I want to encourage you to, to do this week is to pray and to talk to God about not only your finances, but your possessions and everything that you have. And with these principles in mind, to give, save, live. What do I have? And how can I use it? What do I have? And how can I use it? How can I use all the things that God has given me as tools to invest in eternity? How can I make changes so that I'm shrewd and make my decisions with eternity in mind that I'm not just short-sighted? So the first thing that I do with all that I have is to give and then save and then I'll live on the rest. And I say this isn't about being foolish. This isn't about giving away everything and not being able to meet your expenses and just suddenly you know, throwing your budgeting up in the air and getting rid of it. This is about coming to God with a heart which is simply saying, God, I want you to be the one that I serve and I want my money and my stuff and my possessions and what I have to be at all. Help me to manage well what you've given me. And for some of you, the idea of giving 10% will be impossible. And do you know what? That's okay. My encouragement to you is just to start with something. In some way or another, however small it may be, if your heart is to say that I want to put this order in place and I want to make sure money's not what I serve, God's what I serve, and my money's at all, then to, to start with something, however small it may be, to reorder your priorities, to give, save, live. And for others of you, do you know what the reality is that you've given 10% for so many years that you don't even think about it anymore? And it just kind of disappears and once it's gone, that's great. And then you go back to live, save, give again. And you reverse the order with, with everything because you just don't even think about what's happening. And I can be guilty of that sometimes. And so my encouragement to you and my encouragement and my challenge to myself is that we would take time to talk to God about everything that we have and how we can use what we have and how we can keep things in perspective so that we can, we are seeing everything that he's given us as tools to invest in eternity. So that we are living life not controlled by money, not serving money, not grasping after more, or holding on to what we've got, but open-handed with what we have. With a heart to give first, to save second, and to live on the rest. And the amazing thing is that when we do that, when we make giving a priority, we are reflecting something of the heart of God. Because our God is the most generous giver of all. You know, he gave his one and only son. He gave Jesus to come and die in our place so that we could have relationship with him, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a, a fresh start. And he continues to give to us every single day. Not only with, with the things we talk about like grace and peace and mercy and love, which is incredible, but he, he gives to us every good thing that we have in life. Every paycheck that we get in is a gift from him. Every 
you know, our houses that we have, every blessing that we have, they are a gift from him. And so as we begin to, to make changes, the amazing thing is that as you begin to switch to have this perspective to give, save, live, you don't have to do that with a fear or a worry or an anxiety. How are we going to make ends meet and how are we going to do things? Because as we do that, we're reflecting something of the heart of God and we're doing that as we're looking to God and submitting to our God who is the most generous giver of all. And he says to us, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about the things that you need. Put me first. Seek me first. And I'll take care of everything else. So give, save, and then live on the rest.